As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Schmidt List, where we inspire and educate emerging leaders by bringing you conversations with the best experts and thought contributors in technology and design. Thank you for joining us today. Now let's listen in as your host, President at Foundry, Kurt Schmidt, speaks with this episode's inspiring leaders. And welcome to Schmidt List. I am your host, Kurt Schmidt, and I am excited for today because we've got Jason Gladow who's joining us, and he is going to be talking to us about all things B2B marketing, which is something that, to be honest, it's taken me a long time to really understand, even though that is a lot of the work I do. But before we get started, I do want to mention that launching very soon is my new book, The Little Book of Networking. So speaking of B2B marketing, I would definitely go to Amazon and check it out. There will be links in the description below. So. Let's jump over and start talking to Jason. Jason, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So tell me about the agency you're at and the work you do there. Yeah, sure. I run Avani Media. We're a B2B tech marketing focused agency, really on the performance side. So we really help clients focus on performance marketing and really driving high ROI for the dollars they put in. Sure. And how long have you been? How did you get into marketing and, and all of that? So did yeah, you... So Were you a little boy thinking, oh, I can't wait to get into the marketing space? <laughs> no, I think I stumbled into it, which yeah. I feel like is it's pretty common, yeah. common. Started out in journalism and then ended up in the advertising school at the University of Texas at Austin. And then just was at agencies and small mom and pop shops doing sales and marketing and then ended up at my own agency now. Great. Let's start with the basics. So well, B2B marketing, right? So people use the term B2B. There's B2C, right? So B2B marketing is business to business marketing, right? So can you explain that a little bit for the audience who might not be fully up to speed on what the term B2B actually means? Yeah, so it's really just about businesses selling to other businesses. So in my world, we're mostly focused on the tech companies. They're selling edge computing or supercomputers, or we have some clients that are selling chip designs and all, all sorts of things that goes in the cars. So you're, you've got people who are selling components that are being bought by another company. I right. think where B2B can get confusing is because ultimately people buy 
and sell things, right? So it, it's a very, you're not marketing to Foundry, the agency, right? Her right, <laughs> is ultimately <laughs> going to buy it. But, and so I think that's where some of the confusion between B2B and B2C comes in. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that I learned early on too, because a lot of B2B is relationship driven. We can get into that as well. But tell, walk me through the initial steps. So I'm watching this show. I'm a business and I'm interested in having other businesses buy my service or product. What are some of the first things I should be doing before I get into into marketing or to take my marketing to a next level? Like maybe I've got like a big customer and I want to get more customers. Yeah, I think it's, and I think we see this across the spectrum, even really big companies struggle with this at times, which is you've just really got to know who your ideal customer is. Right. Without that, you're going to be trying to service everybody, servicing everybody, which if everybody's your customer, then really nobody probably is your customer. <laughs> and so I think the first step is, who is going to buy? Who's your ideal customer? What do they look like um, size-wise, industry-wise, et cetera? So that's always the very, very first step. Yeah. And so with that, how do I find that ideal customer? Do I do try to look at lookalike customers to ones I currently have? Do I look at competitors and who they're selling to? Where are good places to initially get that kind of persona together? Yeah, I think there's a few ways. One is certainly lookalikes. I think lookalikes can be difficult, right? Mm -hmm. If you just look at, hey, I want to just sell to more tech companies, you've got to really understand what the makeup is. And so for us, for instance, it's not just tech companies, it's tech companies with a very specific marketing organization, because that's where we play best. But the other place I would look and do some research, right? So we were working with a AI company, and they thought, hey, we think a lot of our best customers are going to come from North America, we think that's where the biggest opportunity was. We do a lot of the analysis and actually there, there's not that many people in the world that can afford or want their care. And actually the biggest opportunity is out in Europe and Asia. And part of that's just based on the makeup and the agriculture and, and where they could use the, sure. it was for AI. And so there's, I would say both of those routes are certainly important. Yeah. <clears throat> and what are some of the misconceptions due to your point? Is it usually... They don't know who the customer really is you're going after, right? Because we said B2B earlier, right? But you, we're using the word customer a lot here. So who are we? We're targeting a person, but they have to be a decision maker within a business, correct? Yeah. So you're, I think when we talk about B2B marketing, I think on average now, the number changes, but it's somewhere between five and 12 people are in that, dis that decision-making pod especially for a lot of software and hardware. So I think it's important to know at the company level, at the firmographic level, what does that company look like where you're able to help them the best? Whether that's because you've had a track record of helping people that are similar in that area, or you offer some unique value that this set of customers would, would benefit from. Yep. And then the second part of that is, okay, so now I know I've got Acme Co. and 15 other companies that look and feel like that. What are those... Who are the people? What are the job titles? What are the seniority, right? Not everybody sells into the C-suite or into the executive suite. Not everybody, we, for instance, generally take a bottoms-up approach, right? We're selling into managers and sometimes directors, but we also sell into finance and procurement, right? So it's you can look at the sort of holistic view of what are all those people and what do they care about? Because they all care about something different. So you've got to have your messaging lined up for each of those three, four, five different roles and such that it tells the same story. Because ideally, 
you want people talking amongst each other to say, hey, have you heard of this company? Have you heard of, and, and then you, yeah, oh, yeah, we all heard about them. And yes, we think they're a good fit. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, and we experienced this at Foundry, one of our biggest challenges is people just don't know we exist. And then number mm-hmm. two, they don't know what we do. So those, once we solve those two problems, things pretty much move along pretty smoothly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the challenge. And I think whether you're big or small, I think everybody would love to just be able to target people who are just like looking for whatever solution you're selling and just, right. oh, yes, like, of course, like they're in the market and I'm going to reach out to them. They're going to immediately be like, oh, this is such so good. I can't believe you found me and this is perfect. But that only generally works for people that have the base level of brand awareness. Right? Like, if somebody calls me from Microsoft, I'm like, oh, of course I know who Microsoft is. Right? Yeah. They're a huge company. And so a lot of companies with amounts of brand awareness can get away with going after people that are just in market because they already know who it is and right. it's much like more likely to have a good conversation. Where I think a lot of companies struggle, especially in the B2B space, is, hey, you've got to do some of that thought leadership, right? You've got to let people know that you exist, what you do, why you do what you do, potentially why you're better than other people or mm. better suited to solve their problems is probably a more, yep. it's probably a better way to, to put that. Sure. Let's talk about thought leadership because I've talked about it with other CEOs. Obviously, I'm accustomed to it. I do a podcast. I wrote a book. I'm doing articles on LinkedIn and I'm having a good time doing it. But I'm imagining because of some of the conversations I have, when you walk into some of those leaders are like, but I got nothing to say. And I don't know. I'm just I'm just a poor CEO that has nothing to say. I can't go and write articles on LinkedIn, Jason. What kind of thing are you trying to sell me here? Yeah, I think thought leadership is challenging. You obviously it takes an immense amount of resources, whether that's internal comms people, you need subject matter experts, right? A lot of the companies we're working with there they've got super intelligent and smart people. You've just got to be able to wrangle them and get them to be able to either write or record or speak or whatever it is about their topic and then be able to craft that into something that's digestible in a format that makes sense. Is it going to be in the Wall Street Journal? Is it going to be something on the New York Times? Is it going to be put on LinkedIn? Where is it going to be and what is what format makes the most sense there? I think the challenge, especially in the B2B performance marketing world is what is my cost per lead? What's the cost per click? How many views am I going to, and it's like understanding that is a KPI that's important to the, to that customer, Yep. but also helping them understand like there's a bigger halo effect here that we're going for. It's hard to measure. Journal has a lot of value aside from how many clicks did I get back to my landing page? It's a very hard thing to track and drive attribution. Back to your point about brand awareness, right? So I published an article on LinkedIn and maybe some people click through on a link that I have in there, but it gets 2,000, 3,000 impressions. And I look at that as part of the metric because to your point, that's the halo effect, right? Maybe nobody took action there, but it goes back to something that I've preached in the B2B world, which is consistency wins every every Mm -hmm. time. Because to your point, you can find the people to write some articles, you can find the people to do some things. But if you go to Apple Podcasts, for example, 80% 80 of the podcasts have seven episodes. To to me, what I've found that is the people who can make it part of their lifestyle as a culture at the organization end up winning that that game. But to people that have to, you have to force it into, it can be really challenging. Yeah, and I think there's, I think, consistency over perfection and yes. consistency over um, 
sort of what I always call like short circuiting the sales cycle, right? Just like trying to jump into a specific part of the funnel and just say, hey, I just want these people. I think consistency always wins, whether we're talking about marketing or health and wellness and, and all sorts of facets of life. But I think on your, you made a really interesting point, which is if you can integrate this into somebody's lifestyle, right? Whether that's using what I've been using to try to jumpstart writing again is like the Seinfeld method, which if you don't know what that is, it's like Jerry Seinfeld had a thing where he said you'd write every day, write a joke yep. every day. Every day. Uh, not all of them are going to be great, but you're just getting in the habit of doing it every day. You yep. get a calendar, X off, whatever it is. It's a good way to build a habit. And so that's what I use personally to help just drive in. I, I want to write 200 words a day. Doesn't matter if they're good. Doesn't matter if they're bad. Doesn't matter if it makes it on LinkedIn or not. Like, yep. How do you just get in the habit of dumping your thoughts? And if you can build that into an organization and you're, you get your individuals to start posting, right? If we talk about a LinkedIn strategy, you're going to get a lot better reach than you are just posting on the company page. Yep, uh, exactly. And, and then you get different perspectives and thoughts and you get, you're basically getting into their networks. And so you're getting a really good and broad reach. Now, to your point, 2,000, 3,000 people are seeing it. I didn't put a call to action in my post, right? Because I'm not trying to drive a sale or a right. sign up from it. Eventually, when you get the inbound, you get somebody that I got a message last night on LinkedIn, like, hey, what this is what I'm doing. Would love to, to chat about. Is there a possibility? It's I don't know what posts they saw or what <laughs> right. podcast they listened to. And if I you ask them, they, they might not even be able to tell you. And I think that's that's part of the challenge with attribution in general. Is even if you're even if you're putting out content, yep. whether that's a post you wrote on LinkedIn, if it's an ebook or a white paper or whatever it is, most people aren't going to know. Did they see it on LinkedIn? Did they see it on Facebook, Twitter? The New York Times, what they remember is potentially the gist of the content right. at most. Yep. And that's also assuming <laughs> that there's only one thing that drove their inquiry, which we know is just not, well, it's very unlikely to be the case. Yeah. Back to the consistency part. And again, like I would do, I'll do a quick plug for the book again. So how I wrote this book was by using memos on my phone. I would be driving... I would be thinking about stuff and then I would just hit record and I'd record myself. And then what I did is I took those recordings or sorry, and I dumped them back into the computer and then transcribed them with some transcription software. I took chunks apart, put it into Word documents, sectioned it off, and then boom, over the course of nine months or so, as I'm dropping off the kids at school, driving back, and I'm thinking about some coaching I might have done that week or some challenges somebody explained to me they were running into and some advice I might have given, I record it. And then I take those recordings and I start dumping them into these transcription things. Then eventually I sit down and it's really, then it's just copy editing. It's not even just sitting down with a book. And so the one thing I've been doing with my business partner, who's the CEO of our organization, is I get together with him every couple of weeks and I interview him and I just record it and I do the same thing. And then I give him back his transcription, like a Google Doc. And I'm like, here, turn this into an article. This is the stuff you you said. And he's great. He can just tear through it. Because it, at that point, you're just editing and it's not, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting um, bits I found for me to create content, right? Is it's is that sort of interview approach, right? Yeah. And, and some of it's the voice memo, right? I'm much better about just like speaking an idea and then I can it's easier to transcribe it with software or whatever yeah. it is and then say, okay, let me clean this up a little bit. But that's the gist of it. Because I think there's, I don't know what the fallacy is, right? But it's like staring at a blank <laughs> yeah, screen. Yeah, it's terrible. It's very hard to start. And so one of the 
I don't know. There's one of the things I learned a long time ago was like, it's a lot harder to build a PowerPoint deck if you're starting from a blank screen. Keep a whole, so I have a list of, I've got a deck with over a hundred slides in it that are just like good slides I've seen before, templates, it's how I like that. Yep. And then you can adjust it, right? So it's that framework. And I actually think the same for posting, right? If you've got frameworks that, even if they're silly, right? Hey, yep. here's what I learned, here's three things, or here's what I saw somebody do, and here's how I would do it differently. I think those just help you kickstart ideas, which I think is really for your mind. It doesn't, right. you're not just sitting down, you're like, all right, today I'm going to write. And then you're just like, I have nothing to say, which is not true. You have something to say. Yep. And some people, like for me, it's easier just to tra to record it, whether it's like with Otter AI or whatever it is, and then get it transcribed and then clean it up later. Yeah, and I think because we as consumers, as humans, we experience a lot more B to C on a daily basis. We've got Coca-Cola and Apple and everybody's selling to us. And so when we move into business and now it's time to market to businesses, this is where it gets confusing for people because we just spent a lot of time talking about how we're marketing to a person, right? So tell me the, what is the, is it the structural difference between B to C? Is it a formality versus what if? What is the real main differences that I should be focused on as a business owner when I am, when I'm not thinking, because again, I get this all the time from people like, let's make a page that looks like Apple's page. And I'm like, but your buyer isn't the same buyer from Apple. Yeah, I think it's not so much that there's a huge difference because at the end of the day, we're still marketing to a person. So right. you've got to, I think where you see people go to is like, hey, let's throw in a bunch of jargon or, which I think there is a time and a place for specific industry language, right? Because it's level sets with your buyer that you understand them, they understand you, right? I think there is value in some regard to that. But I think the biggest difference is likely, now it's not always the case, especially if you're talking with PLG or some SaaS products that are relatively inexpensive, is that your sales cycle is going to be longer. It likely isn't a transactional, likely not just buying it. Off the shelf. Off like, the shelf. Um, I'm not buying it with a credit putting card. Putting it in a cart. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, there's no cart, right? So main difference is you've got a longer period of time to educate and to have that conversation with the people because it's not just, it's probably not one person. Even if it, even if right. you're only communicating with one person or only one person is really engaging with your company, it's likely that you're going to have to talk to others at some point. Yeah. And so yeah. I think the biggest difference is not being disillusioned into the length of the sales cycle because it is long. I think you'll see... A lot of the hardware companies, it's over a year, which if you try to compare yourself to a B2C company, right? I think there's some stat that like 97% of all the wine is sold within 10 minutes of it being on the shelf or something, sure. which is why you see so much of it being so new. But now we're talking about, okay, let's go sell electronics components. It's over a year long and these are huge deals. And so you've got to figure out how do I continue to add value and educate the buyers throughout the process and understanding that it's going to be a longer term conversation. Yeah, yeah it is because it, timing is the other big issue that mm -hmm. comes up with this stuff, right? So it's the same in our industry, in our business, because we're B2B, we're selling B2B, is that we can, people can love, fall in love with us. They love what we do, all this stuff, but they just, there's no work right now. Yeah. And so our goal then is once we become known with them is just to stay top of mind with them. Yeah. as much as possible. So that's where the consistency comes in, right? Is that I need to be, I, when that opportunity does arise, I want to be the first person you think of, right? Yeah, and I think it's- If, you're, if, if you're sending just how about now, how about now emails, 
Yeah. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's consistency. And I think this is B2B gets a bad rap for being boring. Yeah. But I think this is where truly great marketers and companies can really shine. You've been told no, or you, or not right now, there's no project or no budget. And it's, it's like, how do you stay top of mind? Right. Yes, you could take the route of just, hey, following up, bumping this email, whatever. Or you could say, hey, I've got, how can I creatively stay top of mind with this company or these set, like this set of companies? Rather, there's, you could go, if your deal size is big enough, do I park a food truck outside and pay for lunch one day? Do I send some direct mail? Whereas direct mail is still incredibly powerful, especially in the B2B space, because most people don't get mail anymore. I know. Uh, it's like a little present you get. I, I think there's all sorts of interesting things like, um, could you do, could you run some sort of like surprise and delight, right? Hey, you know what? <laughs> Lo, like we bought coffee for the office, right? Or bought coffee for you. Just no, there's no strings attached. It's just like thought I saw it was raining in Seattle. I know you're in Seattle or I thought I saw it was raining and cold in Denver. Why don't you go have a warm cup of coffee or hot chocolate on us? Like just strings attached, right? I think there's creative ways that like you can stay top of mind by connecting on the human level, mm -hmm. right? They're a person. We know they've got challenges. Whether they got kids, they got dogs, they got right. roommates, whatever it is. So how do you continue to stay top of mind? I think it's always a very interesting. And for me, it's a fun, I don't know, task. Yeah. And I have experienced this in the consumer side, but way more in the B2B side, which is the education part and why the education part is so important. Because people are like, these are smart people. They already know what, what a chip manufacturer does or whatever the case may be. But to your point is that when they're in a room and people are like, who are we going to have help us solve this problem? That contact of yours becomes your salesperson now in yep. the room with all those people. So they need to have the information about your business and the value it provides at their fingertips understand and be able to pitch it when you're not there because that's the one thing that's happened to us where we've won some of our biggest deals and lost some of our biggest deals yeah. is because that person who was sitting at that table, who was our stakeholder, our advocate, either did a great job or a poor job of, a, of selling us at, in the moment. So any amount of emails or advertisements we would have done, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, there's so many facets to marketing. And that is, I think one of the challenges is how do you ensure your story is told when you're not in the room? Right. And so we've, I've seen some really interesting stuff in the, like the partner marketing world, right? So You've got the big tech companies giving money to these resellers to sell their product, right? And it's, so how do they, how does Microsoft, Lenovo, Apple, Dell, how do they stay top of mind and make sure that these resellers, the Best Buys, the CDWs, the Tiger Directs, et cetera, SHIs, remain top of mind for them because they're selling all these different, all their competitors. You can wrap the elevator. You can do a bunch of interesting things that make keep you top of mind. Right. On the more like direct side, like you, I think we've lost some deals by not being in the room or yep. by having our story told in a slightly askew way of how maybe we would have told it. either. And that falls on us. Either we didn't do a good enough job making sure our champion understood exactly the value we were bringing and whether that's because our service lines have expanded and we could help them in more ways and they only thought we could help them in one way. So they went yeah. with a more full service agency. There's a lot of different ways that kind of can go awry, but it all comes down to education, the materials you provide, the deck you provide, and ultimately I think that running a business, like I think you, it's like, how do you make sure that you tell them seven times or you get, make sure they hear that story so many times that they, are very unlikely to to, <laughs> to screw it up. <laughs> yeah, and that's why, because I tell people, we just redid our website this year and we really aimed it 
towards a, a validation website and not necessarily a marketing website because most of the people we found that visit our website hear about us from some sort of referral and then go to the website to validate who we are. Right. So it's very rare because we don't run like Google ads or things like yeah. that to direct people. We do some SEO, but not at the crazy level. But we found that because a lot of our stuff is either outbound or inbound and not necessarily in the sort of advertisement. SR. You're not like driving, you're not driving like a lot of cold traffic to your site. There you go. That's a, was a better way to put it. Yeah. So we've really retooled the site to be that sort of, hey, you heard of Fob Foundry. Now let's tell you a little bit more about why working with us is valuable versus a site that kind of rehashes everything that they probably would have heard before they even showed up like that we do custom software design and development and that sort of thing. I think what's interesting from that perspective, right, is also in this kind of tying back to how do you stay top of mind is we've seen this in the tech space a little bit, right, where you get these companies creating like almost custom experiences for some of their really big perspective accounts, right? Yes. And that because then you're able to to tell the story specifically to that company. Like, yep. Hey, we've done either this amount of work with you in the past. And so then you're just, it's almost like that's the sales page that your champion can pull up and be like, see, look what they, they did these other things or with our competitors or with us mm -hmm. in the past. Yep. This is why they're a great fit, which I think is a really, it's an interesting and novel approach. Can be expensive, obviously, on the development side if it's not to plug and play, but also you would assume that you're probably doing this just for your really large potential customers or even current customers that you're trying to upsell. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room that I want to talk about, which is ads and advertising. So, yep. so a lot of business owners, especially smaller businesses, as they're growing, they ask me like, should I just run some ads on LinkedIn or should I buy some Google searches or things like that when it comes to the B2B advertising space? I just like to get your personal perspective on the value of that and when does it have its place and when does it not have its place to do ads? Yeah, I think if you can identify your your target customer, your ideal customer, I think it makes a ton of sense to, to put some money into it, right? There's going to be a rate of diminishing returns at some point. And I think there is a sequence depending on where you sell, who you sell to, right? And so I think we're seeing success with people because you can get far more granular with people on LinkedIn from a yeah. targeting perspective. So a lot of people are running more cold traffic targeting to LinkedIn and then retargeting those visitors who don't convert on Google, right? Because Google has can reach them in a lot of different places. But that way, you at least know that you're getting a better targeting set from LinkedIn. And that could be LinkedIn. There's a bunch of other B2B sort of data providers and software yeah. out there. So it, you could go either way. But I would also say if you're just getting started, it's almost like smaller and simpler is better. Just try and also test, test your messaging, test the landing page. Just make sure you're not the hard part with small programs on a B2B advertising perspective is making decisions too quickly. Yeah. With not enough, you don't have enough, your sample size isn't big enough. So it's just, it's finding that sweet spot where you know, like either this is working or not. And then you can adjust quickly from there. Which is, and again, how do you find that sweet spot? It's small tests, right? You don't, I was just talking with our director of marketing the other day. I was like, I don't want to wait a month and get a list of a thousand people together. Let's do 25 this week and see yeah. what happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's all about making your small tests, making incremental improvements based on your hypothesis and then based on what the data is showing and then moving on from it, right? Yeah. If you're, if you just set it off and you've got, 
one click on one ad and zero on the other. It's not enough, likely not enough to tell you anything. Or you start to see those clear either convergence or divergence happening in those tests. Yeah, let's. we're getting close to time here. So I want to give some final advice. All right, let's, Jason, from your expert opinion, let's say I'm a business and I have five to $8,000 a month I can spend on marketing. Where would you tell me if it's a B2B space, what channels would you focus on if I had that kind of budget? I would do a mix of LinkedIn for sure. Then I'd put some to likely to search depending on how competitive that sort of keywords are. Then I would do some retargeting on Google. I think you're probably going to get the biggest bang for your buck on that route. We're seeing, I think it's interesting to look at the Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok worlds. So I definitely think, depending on how your organic content is doing there, I think it's worth it to, to get organic going on those platforms, especially on TikTok, because your reach can be yeah. very viral and very good right out of the gate without spending anything. And then I think on Instagram, you're starting to see if you got good enough creative and you're willing to be, you can drive some pretty good success there as well. So that'd be my recommendation. That's great. All right, let's up the budget real quick. So I'm guessing it'd be all those things plus... If I had more of a thirty, fifty thousand dollar a month budget, where would you be? What would you be saying to somebody to take it to the next level then? Yeah, I think for us, depending on industries, right? I think it's interesting to go, if you're gonna go more thought leadership to align yourself with either trade associations, trade publishers, right? There's mm. go where your real target audience is and where they get their industry news from. Again, likely those are gonna be a lot smaller than your Facebook and your reach on a lot of these platforms, sure. but you're like, hey, I'm only getting, you know, electronic design engineers on this mm -hmm. one side. That's all they do. Or if I'm targeting developers, I'm going on Stack Overflow because that's where they live. Yep. I think when you can get some more budget, those are really interesting. And I would also suggest testing like Reddit mm -hmm. out because Reddit is interesting. It's growing in popularity. I think we saw some stat that a lot of searches in Google now are being up post pended with Reddit in the search. Oh, for so sure they are, yeah. Reddit. And so you've got to, we talk to customers about Reddit all the time. Like you've got to make sure you can afford to like, to be a part of the community. Right. Because you're going to find a lot of value there and then do some advertising in conjunction with it. Because advertising, the reach there is pretty good for the value at the moment. Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the key there because that's when you level up in maturity. In my point with marketing is that you can then invest not only dollars into things, but time, right? So yeah. time into creating articles, creating videos on TikTok to answering questions in a Reddit thread, those types of things. In my mind, that's where you level up. And that really, it's really not about money at that point. It's about time and commitment to it. Yeah. Right? And I think it's, it's one of those that it's important to understand that like each of the channels is different. The way that those audiences engage on those channels is different. And if you go out with the same creative or messaging or story on all of your channels, it's likely going to fall flat on most of them. And so when you can level up and you say, hey, the way that Reddit engages is different than the way Facebook does or the way that I'm going to brand and search, that definitely takes more time, effort, potentially money, whether that's a resourcing conversation or creative conversation, but you've got to be able to, to do those things and reach that level of marketing maturity to know, yeah. hey, I'm going to have to be a little different in this community than I would be potentially just advertising programmatically or something like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Jason, I want to thank you so much. I could talk to you all day about this because I'm very passionate about it as well. But if I want to know more about the work you do and where's a good place 
to find you? Where are you most active? If I want to sure. connect and know more about the work you do. Yeah. So the easiest way is avanimedia.com, but I'm most active on LinkedIn. So feel free to add me. It's just Jason Glad You'll be able to find me there. Okay. Awesome. And I'll have links in the descriptions below for everybody. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I always enjoy our conversations and I appreciate this one. Cool. Thanks, Kurt. All right. Cool. All right, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to join us today. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jason and I hope you did too. Now, again, I want to mention the book because I am going to be unashamedly promoting the crap out of this thing for, for now until I write the next one. So enjoy that. But I appreciate you taking your time out of your day. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your week. We hope you join us for more conversations in the future with leading experts in technology and design. Please contact us at schmidt-list.com and foundrymakes.com for more information. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.